begging for money, you know, from the people that you know, from friends, from family, from fans. Um, it, it's hard. I ended up in the basically in the same square meter of the room as Gail and Heard. Uh, and I could have been talking about how she should have put me in the new season of The Walking Dead, but instead I was going on about uh, aubergine bow buns because I'm a twat. And then you try to look adorable at them and hopefully they give you the money and you make a film. This is what I've been told about the film industry. It's, um, <laughs> please don't tell me that's not how it works. I think too many uh, filmmakers come out of college, uh, out of university, and say, how do I get my movie made? And it's, well, how many of other people's movies have you made? How many times have you gone and worked as a production assistant? How many times have you gone and worked as an AD? You know, it's not about building your CV, it's about building your experiences, about building your contacts. Today on The Engaging Marketeer, I am interviewing a actor turned film producer, Charlie Bond. Charlie has a horror film coming out, which she insists I say the full title of because she likes to make people suffer and struggle to say it. It's Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the boy band of The Screeching Dead. I'm going to be talking to Charlie about how she got that film made, how the film was funded, how she filmed it during lockdown, and what plans she's got for the future. I mean, you, you've gone from um, sort of acting to producing, haven't you? You, you, yeah. You've taken charge of your own destiny in that way. What 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 what, what prompted that that decision? Uh, so what uh, what prompted the decision? Um, so I think I've always been doing a bit of production here and there behind the scenes. I've worked in lots of uh, immersive theatre events, um, and I was also doing a lot of kind of production work behind the scenes on a few productions uh, and a few small films. Was kind of privy to a uh, a few things, kind of working on some some Brit indie films. Um, and was never kind of really formally involved, more just I was around and therefore kind of given jobs to do. And um, and I, well, you know, at the start of the pandemic, I kind of thought, well, I don't, you know, yeah, I've seen these people do, I've seen people be producers, and mm. I know the sort of film that I would like to see, and it's not out there at the moment. And uh, and I'd kind of like to be involved in making the film, that I'd like that out there. So, um, yeah, I got just got involved. And I think the thing is, people say to me, you know, I can't believe you've produced a film. You've gone from kind of being just a silly, silly, glossy actor, you know, uh, to, to silly, fluffy, you know, going off and doing these silly acting jobs, uh, to being a producer. And um, I, I always just say, well, no one stops you. You know, whether it's it's financial or, or whatever, you know, once once you've got a camera, there is literally nobody stopping you. There is a little fruit fly in front of my camera. I just <laughs> I've, I've I noticed it. it's coming for a big close up. I thought we were in some sort of creature flick. Then I got it. It looked bigger than that when it got close to the camera. Right. I know it looked like a pterodactyl. Um, I'm disgusted with myself that I've got a fly on my hand, but I won't stop for you, Karen. <laughs> I'll just wipe that on my trouser and think about it later. Show must go on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, this is what I say. Is, um, yeah, there's nobody stopping you. Nobody tells you you can't. Um, if you decide you want to, to do it, if you want to, if you've got no budget, uh, just just go for it. Just start. And literally, no one stops you. It's mad. Every time I see something that's, you know, a little bit questionable in terms of performance now as a, as a producer on the other side, I just think, gosh, no one stopped that person because no one does. You can just do these things. It's mad. <laughs> I think it was you put that on, on Twitter the other day, wasn't it? That somebody said, I can't believe you've made this film. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was a, a funny, funny message I had uh, with a, an old friend who I'd done a short for, um, and they'd done quite a few shorts, and, and just got in touch with me. I was like, oh, God, I can't believe you've made a feature before me, and I, I was it was a bit of a strange one, really, because I was like, oh you know, what, what do you mean you can't believe that I've made one before you? You know, you, you've never, as far as I know, never 
tried or whatever, but also, what did you say? Why do you think I couldn't? It's a, it's a strange, it was strange. I wasn't sure if it was a backhanded compliment or it was just shock and awe that someone as, as silly as me could do it or just someone as amazing as them as them hadn't. But whatever whatever it was, it was a strange one. Yeah, it's it's difficult to pick up tone, isn't it, when it's a, it's, it's a written communication. It's whether I can't believe you've made a film before me or I can't believe you've made a film before me. And that's, that's right. quite insulting. Yeah. Right, yeah. I wasn't sure if I was insulted or not until I sort of <laughs> thought about it for a while afterwards. And I was like, I don't think that was very nice. I don't, uh, I don't want to stew on it for a while. And I kind of, it clicked. And I'm, I'm not sure what they were saying there. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, of course, I've made a, a feature because I wanted to. And I, you know, it sounds silly and it sounds like a massive you know far-fetched idea you know there are so many obstacles in the way and and believe me there have been so many obstacles in the way I mean making a film in the middle of a pandemic uh in itself was an obstacle but there were so many um but I mean if if having the funding to do it which we we worked really hard to raise was an absolute bonus but if we hadn't have had the funding we still would have just done it because you know myself and and the director Pat Higgins uh, my partner James Hayward Morton we just it was something that we'd kind of decided we were going to do um we weren't doing anything else you know other than trying to kind of scrape enough money to survive with you know the apocalypse happening outside um and just thought well let's just let's see what we can do with it um yeah no one stops you you no. just it takes you three years like it did with us you know bit by bit by bit you know we we shot it you know a week here and then a couple of days there you know for months and months and months it was ongoing um but you can just you can do it anyone can make a film it, it, well that, that that that's true that's true so long as they've got the talent and the drive and the desire to do it yes of i didn't say anybody could make a good film no ah, <laughs> you, <laughs> i i am living proof of that um you you, you once you mentioned there about the fundraising because i think that's an, an important thing to touch on um mm. raising funds for a film is not easy uh, i've done a podcast interview with uh, an old film school friend of mine who i think you've met or been in communication with him phil clayden who directed mm, yes. directed lesbian vampire killers and he told me on the podcast interview we did how difficult it was for them to actually secure the finance for Lesbian Vampire Killers and how it took so long to um, do it. How did you go about that? What was the process? Um, so I think we started with, I mean, we, well, we started with a bonkers concept. Uh, Pat had had put out as a tweet that he was um, thinking of putting out uh, or picking up on a script that he'd started writing by the name of Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the Boy Band of the Screeching Dead. I'd seen this tweet and immediately it just just caught my eye and I, I, I said, Pat, you've, you've got to make this. You've got to write this. This is so silly. Um, and I have been a big fan of Pat's writing for a really long time. He, he wrote the original script for a film uh, that was my first ever feature. Um, and I've read a few of his projects since and he just he's a lovely, lovely writer. Uh, so I at the, at the time I was thinking, you know, about about doing this and I've been kind of producing uh, some promotional and corporate videos for a while. I was cutting my teeth in, in that line of work um, and producing kind of a little mini promotional videos for games and stuff like that. So um, I decided that I, I was ready to take on a feature. I saw that and said, you know, Pat, if you want to write this. I'll produce it, um, which was the most uh, ridiculous thing I think I've ever said in my life because I don't <laughs> <laughs> saying it sounded really easy. Um, but then from there, uh, we got the script going, and then it was it was a snowball because I I started posting out you know to people this is what we're thinking of doing. Would anybody be interested in in kind of coming on board? Um, and then I was I will say I was very very lucky because a, a lot of 
friends who I'd been in various things with, you know, decent actor friends, really, really, you know, one of my favourite people, for example, in the world, uh, Carrie Thompson, you know, I'd, I'd done a play with years and years ago, all popped out and said, you know, if you're, if you're working on this, it sounds bonkers. So, you know, I'd love to be on this with you. Um, and we were just, we were so lucky. So we, we got our core cast in, we got our core crew in, uh, set up the Kickstarter. And I will say, you know, we, we didn't really set up, you see some beautiful Kickstarter projects, you know, it was very bare bones. It was very, uh, to begin with, you know, there are a few pictures from a little promotional shoot that we did. Um, and then we started going kind of overdrive on social media. We were just constantly, it is a full-time job, uh, uh, crowdfunding a film, you know, you, you every day you are constantly on, you, whether you're doing live updates, kind of trying to catch every single person that might have seen it online before um, and just pitching to people. I was calling up favours from people that I've done favours for for the last 10 years, you know, people who I've backed um, on their projects, people who I've helped and just constantly asking. I think I called an, an old landlord, someone that I'd done a favour for <laughs> years and years and years ago and was like, oh, you know, I had helped you out with that thing, you know, could you help with this thing? And it was just relentless. Um, and that's what you have to be on, you know, it is it is difficult because you have to be just constantly asking people for money. Um, and I think, this was a, a particular challenge because I have done Kickstarter projects before and I have, a, you know, I have a, an audience of people that know who I am and watch projects that I'm in and also back the, the projects that I do. However, when you do a number of these, these Kickstarter films, quite often you'll be getting involved in the next film before the previous one is out. Mm. So, uh, you know, it is quite a hard sell when you're saying to people who are, you know, who have backed your last movie, when you're saying to them, oh, you know, this is going to be a really great movie. I know you said the last movie was most, the most important movie and you should absolutely back it, but this movie is going to be fantastic and I'm producing it. Um, so you're constantly begging for money, you know, from the people that you know, from friends, from family, from fans. Um, it, it's hard. It's really hard. It's uh, you, you feel quite sort of humbled and uh, very beggy, but yeah, you, you've got to do it. That's it's how you get it done. So we got we got our target, and then we met our uh, stretch goal. Um, and we were very lucky, very very lucky towards the end that we got quite a nice bit of traction. We were the I think we were the top backed horror project on Kickstarter for about a week, and then for forty eight hours we were the top backed project on Kickstarter. Full stop. Mm. Um, and I say this, it's not that impressive because uh, it was in the middle of the first lockdown, and nobody wanted to spend any money. Uh, so not a lot of things were being backed on any crowdfunding platforms so we you know we were quite lucky in that we you know we, we I think we we begged so hard that a lot of people just went oh okay fine <laughs> please leave me alone please stop coming up in my timeline there's your tenor I'll look forward to my blu-ray thanks bye <laughs> so was that the what they were getting for the the kickstart uh contributions where they were getting the blu-ray yeah uh so as soon as uh as soon as basically we're we're we've had our showings we'll start getting those perks out so we will I think another thing that was uh quite useful with our, our kickstarting like we, we were relentless and we were on all the time uh but we did have some really unique perks that I think did sell us quite a lot you know I think one of the things I, I do a talk about crowdfunding films now uh, and one of the things that I always say is that having personalized perks is really effective um one of the things that we had was you know because obviously we're uh, um, a film about cheerleaders um and not one of our actually that's not true one of our actresses uh, was a former cheerleader however the majority of us had never done any cheerleading in our life so uh, i'd organized to have a cheer camp for the day and so i offered as one of the perks not necessarily 
you know, a perk for the the uh, backer, but it was a specific kind of title, send our team to cheer camp for the day. Um, this is what you'll get. This is the merch you'll get, but this is what you'll do for the team. Uh, and I think that in itself inspired a lot of people to, to go, oh, I, I can see what I'd be getting for my money. You know, I can see what would be you know how that would be it's not just going into a producer's pocket it's you know it's actually tangibly going on something uh, and then they're credited like that there was somebody who i you know i put up this is because we're a musical uh this is how much we're going to need in vocal zone you know throat soothing suites this is how much i estimate we're going to need um you know who wants to, to buy us a job lot box of that and then this is the perk that you'll get for that so i think attaching the Kickstarter perks to actual physical kind of what you would buy for the film um, actually really sold us and people felt ownership of the project. And now I think people feel so much ownership because they can see it on screen. Okay. And how was it actually shooting the film during the pandemic? It was, uh, it was, it was definitely a challenge. I think, you know, for a lot of uh, the time it's, it's very difficult because, you know, when you're not on on set you know you are covered up you are wearing masks and you lose especially for the you know kind of indie industry you you lose that sense of camaraderie where we're all kind of just thrown in together we all have to get on immediately you know we don't have trailers that we can all go and hide in you know we're all squished into a tiny room a lot of the time uh so it was quite isolating um you know it wasn't the usual kind of sense of camaraderie but we did what we could with it uh and there were i mean the actual shooting of the film was it was an incredible challenge because we would have locations that would pull out of us as regulations for filming were changing um and and as regulations full stop were changing so you know we were doing days where you know you could only meet for where's a group of people Do you remember people could only meet as a group of six um so there, there were times where we were kind of having to stagger shoots so that we could only be in a group of six it didn't necessarily extend to um filming those regulations because obviously that's a work workplace for us uh however a lot of locations enforced those regulations even though we were working you know if we were working if we did a day in a you know a bar or in a theater they, they would say to us well we know about this rule of six so you can only have six people there at a time and when you think about it six people for a crew and actors as well is a really really tight one because obviously you've got people that are behind the camera that need to be there you've got people in front of the camera that need to be there so a lot of the time you know we had crew that would and, and cast that were doubling up in all sorts of, of roles you know and from running around making tea for everybody you know i was on costume most of the time you know james was was ading and, and scheduling uh you know pat's on the smoke machine like we're, we're all pitching in and then you know quickly running in front of the camera as well to get those bits done so it was uh it was frenzied um but you know it was an experience i think it's a, a very unique time in the world to make a film mm. and was was there ever a point during this that you thought this might not actually be concluded no no not once i think we've always had the determination to get it done um there are times where we thought it would take longer, you know, because we just we didn't know when we would be able to get back together again. And we didn't know, you know, when we would get cast all in the same room. And we went for such a huge ensemble cast. Uh, the premise of the movie is uh, is that it's a, a talent show. It's kind of a Britain's Got Talent style talent show right. uh, on TV. And so we have quite a few acts. We've got the uh, the titular 
cheerleaders um we've got the the boy band as well and we've got a few other acts uh we've also got kind of a few other interesting characters in the mix so it's a huge 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 cast uh and getting everybody together when at this point in time because of the pandemic because everybody's jobs are suddenly all over the place and all the actors who's ha- who have various side hustles and side jobs and you know all of those hours are thrown completely haywire so actually trying to get everybody into the same room together was one of the hardest challenges um yeah there were times that we thought it would probably take a lot longer we know i I thought we'd still be filming this you know for the next three years (laughs) rather than it taking just three calendar years but uh we've always always had the determination mainly because once we started with a project it was immediate that we could see how special it was it it's got something a little bit twinkly about it. It's got a lot of heart. And I think the more that we invested in it, the more that we had to invest in it, the more we knew we had to throw ourselves in because we just we just all loved it. It was such a, a lovely little, it is such a lovely little project. And you, you mentioned it's a musical as well. Mm-hmm. So this means your cast, presumably cast that aren't naturally singers. Yes, yes. Uh, we've got a, a fantastic, fantastic soundtrack of songs written by... Uh, so Pat wrote um, some beautiful, beautiful songs as he was writing the script, uh, composed by Phil Sheldon, our composer. Uh, and, and then we had our musical director, James, kind of working with performances and, uh, and writing kind of uh, harmonies and, and making sure everybody sounded beautiful together. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have uh, varying different, uh, varying different singing styles. Um, there's no kind of consistency in terms of what the. There's nothing in there that feels very musical like to me. Mm. Uh, it's not really kind of a grease. Um, it's more similar, I would say, in style to. Um, is it once more with feeling the Buffy episode? Oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very very similar. Um, it's lots of little kind of catchy music video moments. Mm um annoyingly catchy songs actually um but lots of different levels of of singing and everybody sounds great um it's what actually i think probably one of my favorite things in the film are the songs they are desperately annoyingly catchy and how did you find singing on a on a film then? uh i well i hated it um <laughs> i hated the experience um it, because it's uh when you are when you're recording i mean we record the songs outside of the the film set you know but it was actually after we would film them because of the way that it worked and getting everybody in the same room together uh the way that we actually did it was we recorded the kind of the video for the songs so we had the kind of rough rough song the rough um we had the melodies in place um so we'd kind of record it there um when you are recording miming you still have to sing because it shows in your throat if you're if you're not if you're just moving your mouth you know it doesn't doesn't look very good on camera so we all had to kind of get in there and sing but because the songs weren't tweaked or or written for each each actor's uh, range they were all in different keys and uh, not necessarily keys that were right for us so we'd, we'd all kind of be squeaking through it all of us you know just not not uh, enjoying it we, i think we kind of lent into how terrible an experience that was um and then uh and then you know going in afterwards into to the uh the studio and actually recording the songs that part was fine and lovely but uh and having to kind of match up uh adr wise um more of a skill for edit i have to say kind of say <laughs> saved us quite a bit on that but um yeah i i think actually all, nobody likes the sound of their voice uh through headphones um and when you want are switching from character and into straight into a, a song it is a real challenge um i've never done a musical before 
with a you know I've never performed in one I've never ever been in one uh, it was a, a silly silly idea that we would do it um but I'm so glad we did it was it was definitely an experience and obviously you've seen the final film but mm-hmm. it, it's not out yet so how happy are you with the the result I'm over the moon I'm absolutely over the moon I've I've been very lucky to have overseen the entire post production um and it's been for, you know there is a moment where you sort of look at all of the raw footage that you've got in a film and it's an absolute dumpster fire you know nothing is cohesive it's just a mess of just just constant shots and shots and shots and and then suddenly you know you, you get a, a rough assembly um and it's still okay all right i can see something here and then you start to see you know the vfx coming in then you start to see the the grade come in and suddenly it shifts dramatically and then the soundtrack comes in uh and then you know suddenly you've got the foley as well all the kind of sound effects that happen from you know gravel crunching as people are walking on it you know eating sounds you've got you know background sounds um and suddenly the tone changes again and you get progressively more and more and more in love with it and now i mean i watched it three times a day as we were looking for bugs and errors and you know booms and and things that to kind of VFX out and I've watched it three times a day every day for the past four months I think um and I I cry every time at the end <laughs> every single time I just just go and, and I don't know whether it's because I'm involved with it and I just go god thank god that's over um but I do cry every time and, and just go god that's a so it's a lovely film and uh when can we expect to see it out or in in some capacity uh, so it has its uh, worldwide premiere at the, we're very excited, uh, the very prestigious uh, Leicester Square um, <gasps> Pride Club. Um, yeah. So that will be premiering, I believe, on Monday the 9th. It's the one of the closing films of Fright Fest. Um, and it's, I say, you know, I have to just disclose, it is a lovely film. It is also a horror film. I do kind of quite often say, oh, it's, such a, it's a, a nice film, but it's terribly gory. Uh, it's it's very, very uh, gross and, and bloody and violent, um, which is exactly what you'd want from a horror mm-hmm. comedy musical. Um, but I do have to stress it, it's lovely as well. Uh, but yes, uh, out on the 29th of uh, August this, this year, uh, Leicester Square premiere. I uh, hope everybody can come along and join and, and celebrate. Um, we'll have a few more screenings at a few more festivals. We're just doing the, the festival circuit at first, uh, whilst we nail down that distribution deal. And then hopefully um, my uh, dream is that it goes on to, to VOD as soon as possible so people can start seeing it. We'll certainly be uh, putting it out on DVD so that, um, I mean, firstly for our backers who all, all requested uh, DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, that'll be going straight out to them. But um, and, but then so as, as many people can see it as possible. I am... Um, I, I know I'm terribly biased, but I genuinely feel that it has the making of like a Shaun of the Dead about it. You know, it's there are moments in it that are so just just quotable and and silly and fun and just just joyful to watch, uh, whether in its humour, in its friendship and love uh, or in its just gore and violence. Um, it is it is an absolute joy to watch. It's interesting you mentioned Shaun of the Dead there. That, that's one of my favourite films, and it's one of my biggest regrets as well. Your biggest regrets? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll mention it briefly. I have mentioned it on another podcast. Now, I, years ago, I used to make spoof films for a programme called Beatles Hot Shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd send them in, and the editor on Hot Shots was phoning me up um, most nights and talking to me about what he wanted me to film. And I, he had me reshoot a Batman spoof I did when I was the Joker. 
<laughs> and we went down to London Weekend Television Studios where they filmed it in front of a studio audience with Jeremy Beadle there. And the, the, the editor saw me when I, when I came in and he said, look, can you meet me in the bar afterwards to talk about the second season? Because I want you to make some stuff for the next season. And me and my mate, we were living in South Wales at the time. We were going to miss the last train back. Because you know what it's like filming a live TV show. It just drags on and on and on. It's really boring. <laughs> so we went and left and got on the train. And I never saw him again. Oh. And that guy was Edgar Wright. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I know. He oh. want, I've, I've got a signed letter here from him where he sent me some of the tapes back afterwards. <sighs> I walked out on Edgar, right? Oh, God. Yeah. And I, 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 I imagine he regrets it as much oh, as I'm sure he does. It. Edgar, if you're listening, I'm here, man. <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Yeah, I didn't know until I watched um, Spaced some mm-hmm. four or five years later, and I think I was about halfway through the first season, and I noticed his name in the credits and went, I know that name. Oh, um, shit. Oh, no. And then it just got worse with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim and Baby Driver. <laughs> and he's just had another one out in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What so, a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are the, these are the opportunities. Because I was, I was talking to this with about this with um, Phil Clayden because he was in the right place at the right time. It's obviously, it's loads of hard work and graft as well, but he was in the right place at the right time. He happened to be in a pub when somebody wanted him to script edit. Mm. And he ended up making the script. Because it was just pure chance that he was there. And I was in the right place at the right time there. But I mm. totally fluffed. <laughs> totally fluffed that one. So yeah. It, Every, everybody's been there. Everybody's yeah. been there. I, you know, there are always moments where you just... You think of the, the things that I could have said. The way that I could have handled that. I could have been so much uh, smoother. Yeah. Um, I I was uh, at a party... And I ended up, I, I ended up in the basically in the same square meter of the room as Gail and Heard, um, oh, and uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I, I think I just started talking about the canapes, uh, <laughs> and I just because of course I did. I just started talking about food because that's who I am, mm. uh, and I could have been talking about how she should have put me in the new season of The Walking Dead, but instead. I was going on about uh, aubergine bow buns because I'm a twat. Uh, so that's my kick myself story. <laughs> but it sounds very posh coming from you when you say that. Most people say that. It's, oh, it's a disgusting word, but you, very, very posh. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm gathering from the film, it's a talent show gone wrong. Yes. But I, don't, but I, I can't gauge from what you've said what kind of horror monster it is, because obviously we're both into horror. I've got an American werewolf sat on my desk here right oh now. Oh, my God, that is exceptionally cool. It is quite cool. So what sort of – I mean, can you tell us what, what sort of monsters you yeah? yeah, I can. Uh, so it's Powerful Cheerleaders versus the boy band of the Screeching Dead. Uh, they are – uh, they are the undead um it's because i thought you know why not there is always room for another good zombie movie um, oh, zombie. i can see it could have could have been vampires from what you said could have been it could, could have been, been. They're, they're not quite zombies they're somewhere i mean we call them the abominations they are uh, uh emily uh, my character and her friends will do anything to win the talent competition um and they find a, a kind of old talisman um a, a gift from emily's mother a uh, grandmother rather and uh who herself um 
used to be a cheerleader um which ended up in a, a vicious bloodbath and as these things are often circular um emily now has hold of this tal- talisman they make a wish um and of course you have to be very careful about what you wish for um because accidentally now the uh, the boy band uh are the undead um and so they uh they are gruesome they are violent uh and they are bloody deliciously good to watch um <laughs> Three of them are so charismatic together and so funny. Uh, you can't help but love them, but also they're horrendous. Um, so it's it's proper properly good cringe viewing. Um, it's, they are, yeah, just just nasty, but just brilliant and gorgeous boys as well. Uh, so yes, they are just just disgusting zombie like creatures um, who just want to kind of take over the world and wreak havoc because of course the moment you're a, a zombie, that's what you want, isn't it? So oh, obviously, obviously. So to be your zombie underlings, I guess. So these are not mindless zombies. These are zombies with a plan. These are zombies with a plan, yes. Um, as far as as we can see, any any other zombies don't seem to be as compass as, as these particular zombies. Uh, they are very much still destined to win. Um, so it becomes very, very surreal uh, kind of cheerleaders versus zombies battle um, to to win win the title of uh, of spotlight chasers next um, next winners. Um, and it is it, it is honestly just just gloriously silly. But the the, the zombies themselves, the, the boy band, the screeching jet, um, are I mean, one of my favourite things was watching these three boys, all beautiful, beautiful voices, fantastic singers, trying to sound horrendous um, <laughs> because not one of them wanted to do it. You know, they start screeching and they've got you know they start screeching their song, and it's it's horrible and it's like if chalk board and fingernails horrendous, uh, and then all of a sudden you can hear them starting to harmonise with each other, and <laughs> just then one of them is oh no Charlie's making that face again we're we're harmonising stop it stop it um, and it, it's they are very talented, but it is very jarring seeing these these horrible, disgusting zombies. Um, and the makeup was done by James Olney from Ripped from the Crypt, who is phenomenal. I have still no idea uh, how we managed to, to to snag him because he's just he's glorious. He's so talented, um, and he's ingenious. Like the the ideas that he will come with, up with on the fly. Um, you know, I've worked with so many special effects uh, artists who kind of have a good set plan and they prepare really well, and James does. Uh, but then all of a sudden. Out of the middle of nowhere, he'll come up with a really stupid idea, and we'll just go, "Oh God, he's doing something weird," and then it'll look amazing. Uh, he's a genius. Uh, so he made the most hideous, hideous zombies that are, you know, they're they're kind of freshly dead, but they are just just rank, just gross, gross zombies. So are, uh, are, are we are we talking more sort of Griffin Dunn from American Werewolf, freshly dead? Yeah, just just still still pink and bleeding. Oh, good. <laughs> nice, nice. Of course, the the, the biggest horror movies um, often produce sequels. In the mm. case of American Werewolf, not particularly good sequels, but they produce sequels. Are you planning to do more of this, or is it very much a this is this this film, this one's done? <laughs> I, uh, I, I, you know, it's something um, that I think would have it would work really well as a sequel. Mainly because I think the opportunity to take the same characters 
And I think something that I really love about the the movie is the is the, the characters that are in it. You know, they all are very strongly defined. You know, no one's a kind of side quest character. They're all they've all got these lovely strong arcs going on. Um, and I I think given the the opportunity to develop develop those characters further, um, would be would be wonderful. And I think especially you know knowing what we we know about the occult within the universe that they're in, um, and having having basically the opportunity to make the same universe film but in our universe where there isn't a pandemic love to absolutely love to get together with that massive group of people again who i love get together and just just take on the same roles again absolutely love to um i think it's something that would work and there are ideas floating around for the the sequel i am currently very nervous to see the um the reaction mm. so once we have our, our premiere um because it is such a, a kind of a unique one horror comedies are generally a hard sell um when it comes to distribution anyway um but a horror comedy musical in itself is a tough one it's not been done a lot you know it was, it was a couple of years ago famously anna and the apocalypse another another great horror musical um so we're a little bit a little, little bit kind of along the same uh, same lines. I think probably a bit kookier, probably a bit um, a, we're way low, lower budget. So I think we have to to work a lot lot harder to be uh, to be weird. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, once uh, once we've kind of seen what people think of this one, um, not many people outside of the film have seen it yet. So everybody who tells me they like it, I'm like, yeah, cool. That's, of course you do. You're involved. It's like, I'm desperate to, for someone on the outside. Even, you know, just a kind of constructive criticism or just a, just someone on the outside to say, yeah, actually, I, I could watch more of these people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't do a sequel, what, what ones have you got planned for the future? What projects are you working on? Hmm. Uh, so we've just finished a uh, a little short, a little segment, which is in, a, in, an, in an anthology uh, called Virus Detected. Um, it's an anthology by a guy pulled together called Chris Josty. Um, he's pulled together some great filmmakers, some people that I've worked with before, uh, like, for example, Peter Hearn and Jeff Harmer from uh, Dead Air uh, that I did a few years back, five years ago, actually. Um, and uh, Faith Elizabeth, who is one of the actresses in Power Tool, she leaders versus The Boy Band of the Screeching Dead is directing one, uh, which looks gorgeous. So uh, it's basically an anthology around life after the kind of electrical storm um, and lots of kind of AI coming to life, lots of things not working as it should. Um, and so we've just we've, we're doing the closing uh, segment of that uh, with my production company, which is Deadlocked Entertainment, uh, which is run by myself and my partner, James Hamer Morton. Um, we have a slate of some projects which we are gearing up to go into production on. Um, I don't really want to kind of give away too much of, of what we're doing, but I can say we're working on a sci-fi. Uh, outside of that, we're working on a, a really nice, what I think is kind of a nice commercial horror, you know, something uh, which is a bit, it's kind of what I think is not necessarily low-hanging fruit, but something which I know will be a good uh, kind of crowd-pleaser to, uh, you know, um, kind of, uh, this is a genre that I like to think of as Danny Dyer meets the vampires sort of uh, <laughs> film. Um, and you know what I mean? That sort of I genre. know what you mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but a dust till uh, dawn sort of thing, but British. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we also have uh, a period 
drama which I'm writing which I'm, I'm looking forward to doing um, we also have a period drama around the restoration um, theatre in, in England which is one of my personal favourite periods moments in history um, and we are also developing a uh, what else are we doing oh my personal uh, tribute to Hammer Horror um, something kind of sleepy and weirdly difficult to place in time uh, but old fashioned old-fashioned good british horror is that going to be shot in in britain then that one? Oh yes oh yeah because tip, typically the hammers they weren't shot in britain were they uh so a lot of them a lot of them were shot at, uh, shot at pinewood um oh in- interior but yeah i mean exteriors though were, were they britain as well yeah, I mean, as far as I'm aware, a lot of them, yes. Uh, they tested, tested me on my hammer knowledge to know any vacations where they weren't. But yes, I'm pretty sure most of them were shot in Britain. Uh, but we're, you know, Hammer, hammer Horrors is a good good British studios. Um, we'd, we've got, uh, I've been writing for years, uh, my kind of tribute to Hammer Horror, uh, which is a very, in that sort of style, you know, very sleepy, very beautiful, picturesque, um, quite emotional, uh, but bloody gory um and horribly violent which is my favorite genre of horror <laughs> pretty but uh horrendous are you planning to ape one of the um the hammer horror tropes which is rather than shoot a scene at night do a day for night shoot because it's got a different look to it yeah and we've got we, we shoot day for night quite a lot and i, I think um with certainly some of the, the newer cameras that you've got out at the moment for example the the what we shot household cheerleaders versus the boy band that was screeching mm. dead on uh so we shot on on black magic uh cocky cinema 6k um it handles you know when, when you're kind of setting up for it, it handles day for night really well um and i think you can get away with with it a lot there are lots of obviously little tricks that you can do uh to, to kind of sell it a little bit better but i yeah i mean i I'm always a big fan of a day-for-night shoot, mainly because I don't want to work at night. It's horrible. I've done too many films over the past 15 years in the middle of the woods, in my underwear, in the dead of winter. <laughs> horrible. No thank you. Uh, if, we, if we can shoot day-for-night, that would be nice. Thank you very much. I imagine it's cheaper as well doing day-for-night. Yes. Uh, I mean, yes and no. Some locations you can only get at night because they're busy during the day. So, mm. for example, like, you know, if you were shooting in a um, a pub, they're closed overnight, and so you can shoot there, and it's generally more affordable. Um, but in, in terms of, it's way offset by things like making sure that you you don't you don't have to get kind of cabs for everybody home because there's no tube. Um, it's uh, yeah, always preferable to me to shoot a day day for night. Um, but that is because I'm I, I desperately desperately horrible if i don't have a good amount of sleep um actually unbearable to anybody around me so <laughs> just have to <laughs> have to try and avoid those where i can sure. i was gonna say aren't you in the wrong business then because filmmaking isn't something where you get a good eight hours surely oh absolutely not no i'm i mean <laughs> i am totally totally for sleep in the wrong business and uh since since working in, in production on this film you know I've, I've had barely any any days off any time off uh any time off that i've had you know i've kind of been working away away from home you know um but uh you know you look at it at the end of it and um and you go, wow, you know, it was it was horrible, it was hard work, but we we made a thing. And then you go and apologise to all the horrible the, the things that you said to people while you were tired, um, and uh, you know, you needed some coffee. And then you all have a big cuddle, and you go, cool, let's never do this again. 
<laughs> and, and and then you're going to do it again. So and then you're going to do it again. We forget about it. Your memory is, uh, is you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a mother, um, but I have heard friends who are mothers say about um, giving birth is that it's this horrible, violent, bloody experience um and it's it's horrendous and you know as the weeks after as you're healing you kind of you think i good i'll never do this again you know i've got this lovely baby and it's very sweet but I, i'll never do this again um and then suddenly that kind of feeling fades away and then all of a sudden people have got four kids and you just it's, it's like well, why don't you learn um but that's the film industry that's the film industry as well it's, it's grueling and it's traumatic and horrendous and you're, you're thrown together with people like in in ways that are just totally unnatural and you've just all got to, to pull together and make a project work uh, and you just think god i'll never do this again and then it fades very quickly and you go god i love that film i had so much fun making it we all enjoyed that so much let's yeah. do a sequel <laughs> you just remember all the good times about it mm-hmm. so with with the future projects that you're doing then are you going to be using a similar technique for the fundraising uh i think that i've got i'm, I'm actually performing in a couple of projects that are still due uh release from their, their Kickstarters, things that have been kind of ongoing for a couple of years. And I've made a decision um, to not do any more crowdfunding until those have been fulfilled, um, which is difficult because, you know, so many uh, filmmakers will come to, to actors like myself and say, you know, we've got, we'd like, I'd like to cast you in this thing and, you know, I think you'd be really good for it. And then, you you know, you do the thing, you do the audition and you get the part and then you... Um, you know you kind of gear up for it and then they turn around and say oh by the way you know we're doing a crowdfunder so please push it on your platforms and you, you go god i just i just asked up you know all my family for money you know <laughs> just just asked everybody i knew um so it's been difficult but i've made the decision uh myself to wait mainly because i do you know i i have a very very small uh kind of following very small of people that have been really 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 supportive of anything that i've done and i think because i'm quite active on social media and i try to be as personal personal um i think as, as kind of real as possible and I, I share a lot of my personality and a lot of insights into my life and so i think a lot of people that i encounter online feel can feel quite you know quite part of my life and and i, I certainly you know i follow them and i think it, it's quite difficult you know to keep saying to the same group of people you know please please back this next project so i think i'll be looking at alternate funding for the next um for certainly the next couple of films after after powder shielders versus the Boyband of the screeching dead is out uh i'm hoping that we'll have a few more options in terms of financing come our way because it's always much easier to go to uh, distributors and investors and say you know this project that you've you know almost certainly heard of um this you know this is what we did this is what we did with that amount of money um this is what we could do with this amount of money. Um, would you please give us that amount of money, please? And then you try to look adorable at them and hopefully <laughs> they give you the money and you make a film. This is what I've been told about the film industry. It's, um, <laughs> please don't tell me that's not how it works. I'm, 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 not, not, I'm not the person to ask, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that's how it works. Yeah, I'm fairly <laughs> sure. Um, so but yeah, probably won't be doing any uh, crowdfunders for, for a little while. Uh, I think there is a place for them and I think... Um, there are certainly it is very good for a certain film because it, I mean it's very good for the kind of social media. I mean we we wouldn't have as many people following us had it not been for our crowdfunder. Mm. Um, I mean that really really kind of elevated us. Um, but I think that um, 
you know, without uh, wanting to kind of cut myself off from work. I'm just I'm taking a little little break for that until everything that I've done, and basically until I, I don't really owe anybody anything for a little while, uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll look into doing another crowdfunder because we've got a couple that I think would be very good for for a crowdfunder, and I think it also offers people that chance to be part of your film. Um, it's not quite two way, I don't think, but it, it certainly offers people a chance to kind of, you know, get in early or like I say, you know, buy a prop from the film that, or, you know, buy a perk for the film that makes them feel like a part of something. Mm. And obviously we've mentioned horror horror. Mm. What films were big influences on you? Uh, so... One of my favourites, uh, I mean, aside from from Hammer one of my favourite vampire films of all time is Hammer Horror's Twins of Evil, which to me is a, a very beautiful vampire film. You know, you have Peter Cushing, who is an incredibly emotive actor, just just looking pained at his two, you know, his, his, his two lovely daughters and his wards, and just these two girls that. Uh, are basically you know being manipulated by darkness by you know dracula and all of the dark demonic forces and you see you see him him watching that and that to me is kind of the real horror is that you see this pain of somebody kind of grieving um and i think it's a real metaphor for a very human experience um but for me i love comedy horror kind of masking a serious horror i love i love fright night um fright night's possibly one of my all-time favorite films um what is definitely one of my all-time favorite films is jim carrey's once bitten um i think it's like 17 year old jim carrey uh and it's his first ever film um i think uh, and he is he's tiny he's, he's this tiny little skinny teenager um but he, he's phenomenal and in the middle of the film there's this incredible dance off which doesn't belong in a film and it's amazing uh it, it totally is a, a fantastic it's one of the best things i've ever seen and he is such a talented dancer um you know we've all seen like the, the christopher walken uh music video and suddenly you go i didn't, I didn't know that actor could dance um it's the same thing you know you see, you see jim carrey in it and it's stunning so i i mean i love i love kind of schlocky 80s kind of funny uh really comedy horror but yeah, that kind of style um what other horror movies uh, i like things that are a bit weird uh saw the seasoning house a few years ago which i thought was really just just weird and quirky um something i love uh is annabella's the love witch um which is gorgeous is this total anachronism of a film like you cannot place it in any time zone but it's it's got that 70s feel about it it's got that kind of italian horror feel about it it's very vivid you know the colors are very saturated it's a gorgeous film um but yeah i could get lost lost in that for ages um and yeah i think that's those are kind of my heavy heavy influences as a filmmaker i feel talking to you i know nothing about horror now because I, I, <laughs> so many of those i've never seen which i'm gonna have to do that now Definitely recommend. I mean, Once Bitten is phenomenal. Right, I've, I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. I, I will have to dig that out. I mean, Jim Carrey, you'd think I'd have heard of it. So I have at least three copies on DVD at any one point in my life. <laughs> just I, in just case. in case I need to show anybody it quickly. I have this with like two two films, that and High Fidelity with John Cusack, which is my all time favorite movie. And if somebody tells me they haven't seen it, I will give it to them and then immediately buy another one in case I lose my other two backup copies. It's by my, my favorite like go to the grave with film i think you might need therapy for this uh yeah. this this compulsion <laughs> to buy high fidelity says. but you know i mean yeah john kuzak's doing all right out of it um mm. if somebody wanted to get a film made what advice would you you give them as a as a producer 
Or even uh, as a writer, if somebody's a script writer or a director wants to get something done. Uh, I mean, you can always say when you know when I've got some when I've got some downtime, I'll I'll start writing. Or you know when I when I'm over this when the, when the pandemic's over, I'll start writing. Or when I'm in a more stable job, or when I when I'm no longer in this stable job, I start writing. Um, best advice I can give is is just do it. Just do it. Nobody stops you. The, the only person stopping you is you. Um, and I know I know how, how privileged that sounds. And, I, you know, I know that it, it, it is difficult because people do have jobs and lives and, and childcare. And, you know, there I mean, there is so many obstacles, but they are only obstacles and they're challenges. And everybody has challenges. And yes, some people have kind of easier paths than others. Um, but just just start doing it. Start writing it. Um, if you're if you're not a writer, if you're if you're a filmmaker, you know you start start looking at, at kind of assembling your your team and, and start kind of feeling people out and saying you know how do you fancy kind of getting involved in this project? And mm. yeah, you know you'd be amazed. I think passion is the 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 most important tool you can have when getting anybody else involved in your project. And you know ultimately. Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the Boy Band of the Screeching Dead, it's not for any of this team. It's not their their, you know, baby in the same way that it is ours. You know, it's it's to them, you know, it's a it's a great gig and it's a great thing to be involved with. But they're happy to be involved because I think they've seen how passionate we are about it and they've gone, Okay, yeah, no, you you seem clearly weird and bonkers, so I kinda wanna get, you know, see what mess this is gonna turn into. Hmm. Um, but I think, you know, being passionate, um and, and kind of just if you've got an idea just go for it and when people ask you about it tell them about it you know just just expose your soul and just just get it out there because i i'm not a very spiritual person i don't i don't really buy the kind of law of attraction but i do think that when you start putting out passion into the universe i do think it starts kind of stirring it up in other people you know it gets them excited and i think you know so some suddenly you'll you meet someone that goes Okay, so you know you're you're a filmmaker. Well, I know somebody uh, who is you know works in a business and they they have a location. You know, I bet you could film there. Um, and the more that you kind of let that passion out, you know, the more it starts to kind of come back in really in you know really weird ways. We've been very lucky on this film because I think we've we've just been so open and so passionate right from the start that we've had so many favors and so many people get in touch to say you know like yeah this is a really great thing that's happening you guys are massively cringe and i want to watch it um i want to see the mess that this is going to turn into here uh, have a have some of this or whatever so so we can be part of it but i genuinely you know i'm i know i'm being like pretty self-deprecating about it because yeah. you know i think you know this film isn't it isn't the, the the biggest or best project in the world but i think that you can see in it i think you can see the passion Mm. Uh, and that is the, is the most important thing in filmmaking to me. I mean, you, you mentioned assembling your team, and that, that makes perfect sense, because I'm, obviously I'm in business and we do websites and marketing for people, and assembling a team is important. And when you need other people to do things you don't do, there's, say, networking events you can go to where you can mm. meet people who can do the things that you can't do so you can use them. I've tried to get a film made before, because I went to film school, I got a film degree, we wrote a script, we made a film in, in university, it was crap, uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, we got a script, we went to the Cannes Film Festival in 
2000, I think it was, um, mm-hmm. when I think Gladiator was there, um, tried to get finance for a film and we just weren't meeting the right contacts. We just weren't getting in front of the right people. How do you get in front of the people that can be your team? How do you break down those doors to say, right, this is my project. I want you to pay attention to this. Uh, so with assembling the team, I mean, I, I've worked in, in the industry already. I mean, I had, a, I had a really good head start. You know, I've been working as an actor uh, on films where I've been literally paid in sandwiches. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, worked, I've worked in call centres for a really, really, really long time. Um, most actors, you know, you see uh, actors who are on TV shows that you see every day and, you know, they'll always have a side hustle somewhere. You know, we're, we're always kind of jobbing along and I've been working in a call centre for a really long time. And, you know, because I was, I wanted to be able to do low budget horror films. That was why I did it. It was horrible. You know, you don't have any, any work benefits and you're doing often the, the lowliest of jobs, but you know, you do have that flexibility so that you can just about afford to do a film that has no pay. And, you know, which is that, you know, it's not something that I could do if I had a regular job. It's not something I could do if I had, you know, for example, children. Um, but it was the choice that I made. So what, when it came to assembling my team, a lot of it was going to those people that I'd worked with and saying, do you remember that time that I did like those two weeks for free for you? I kind of need this bit of help now. Uh, you know, I need a bit of mentoring on this. You know, I need some some help there. You know, I need to borrow some lights. Um, so a lot of it was for me, it came it came from having kind of been in the industry already mm. as a kind of, you know, as a peon really. Um, and just having done so many favours for, for other people and so many jobs for other people. And, and you know, I say favours like I like it was all, all for them. But, you know, I, I'd I'd been in parts and, and, and done films uh, that it's, you know gotten me a few credits but generally it was for for little or no money um so i was able to go to those people and kind of ask ask for favors um however assembling your team i mean there were a few people on this film that i'd never uh only a, a few that i'd never met before and that was through kind of uh just putting the word out there and i think you know as you start to, to find your tribe a bit you know their extended network uh will will kind of find their way to you as well. Um, and so often, you know, I'd get a message from, a, you know, a close friend of mine that would say, um, you know, I've got a friend of mine whose kid is looking to get into filmmaking. Uh, he's a real whiz at editing, you know, could he come and do something for you? And it's, well, okay, well, you know, we've, we've got an editor, we've got, you know, all of our team here, but would they like to kind of get involved and do maybe some behind the scenes footage? Um, so just for me, I mean, it's, it is networking and it's, it's constantly, it's the same, you know, getting that passion out there and people will find you. It sounds very, very simple and very, very happy to say, but I mean, there is no easy way to do it. There's no kind of, this is how you make a film. This is how you get your team together. They owe, it's been a long time. Uh, it's been a lot of hard work in various different ways. Um, and you know having just kind of growing that and it is i suppose it's patience it's it's chipping away and when when you are doing those films that are you know no money and you're in the middle of the woods you know in your underwear in the middle of winter it's it's going you know this isn't forever you know this is going to be a really great gig for me and um hopefully it'll lead to something else it's patience and endurance and having the faith i think do you know i I think what you said it i think the penny has finally just dropped for me probably after about 30 odd years too late um what you're talking about i think it's what the americans call paying your dues 
Yes. So you, you've gone in and you've done the acting roles for, as you say, for sandwiches. You're working pretty much for nothing and having to do other work there so that you can make the contacts, you can show that you're willing, you can show that you're enthusiastic and you can meet the people that want to do it. I remember in, in my university, in our, in our film school, there was a, a film being made by a, a guy who'd left university. You've probably heard of it, a guy called Justin Kerrigan, who made mm-hmm. Human Traffic. And Human Traffic was made, shot pretty much at our university. And there was a load of people in our third year, because I was in the third year at the time it was being made, that volunteered on this, that crewed mm. on this film for free. Mm. And whenever I watch it, I, I notice like half our film class is in there doing unpaid work as runners or whatever it was. Mm. But we didn't do that, our little group, because we were making our own, admittedly quite shit film at the time. We were making our own film, so we didn't do that. So... We then try to get a film made professionally without having made those contacts, without having done that free crewing. We, we'd not not even been on a professional film set. Mm-hmm. So we were up against it from the start because we'd effectively not shown willing. Whereas some of the people who'd done this free work, uh, there's mm-hmm. one girl she went on and she's done editing for Great British Bake Off. There's another guy who was an editor, and he was a phenomenal editor, uh, Matt Meach, went on and did work on uh, David Attenborough's Blue Planet. Oh, wow. So he's won awards with that. And then obviously Phil Claydon went on and did Lesbian Vampire Killers. The guys that were willing to do the work for free are the guys that went on and did professionally in that industry. Whereas I'm here in marketing which is okay which is cool but you know i've still got that big itch that i I... that's where you are at the moment and you know it is it is endurance and it is i think too many uh filmmakers come out of college uh, out of university and say you know and i I certainly i I see them at talks you know and 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 they say okay well how do i get my movie made and it's well how many of other people's movies have you made how many times have you gone and worked as a production assistant how many times have you gone and worked as an ad you know it's not about building your cv it's about building your experiences about building your contacts you know before i was doing any kind of promotional corporate work you know and this is stuff that you don't kind of necessarily see on on twitter because it's something that's very very dull um you know to, to the outside world um but you know i was i was working as a, an assistant camera op for for a little while and you know until i kind of got an understanding of how how to kind of light and shoot quickly um and i you know i don't i don't have film school experience uh but i was i was lucky to know somebody who would to bring me onto that um and then you know i started working uh doing a bit of production assistant work and you know i i'd worked on so many other people's things and i as both an actor and in production and it is it is exactly that it's exactly paying your dues and it, like i say you know when people say how do i get my movie made it how many other people's movies have you made mm. you know you have to you have to to work your way up and so so seldom does it happen in this industry where somebody comes out of film school and then you know warner brothers comes along and goes there you go you there, you've come out there's your degree and then there's your budget to make you know the, the new superhero movie it doesn't <laughs> happen you have to you have to you know pay your dues you have to earn it and it is absolutely it's a test of endurance it's a, it's a test of how how long you can do those horrible grueling hours for um and and how lucky you are it really is you know i'm 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 very lucky and i think because i i'm very uh you know i'm very sociable i like to get talking to people and you know i find myself in in situations where i, I end up just just you know trying to kind of 
I look after people if I'm, you know, doing a bit of production assistant work to try and make sure people are comfortable and people appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I think it's, as especially as you get older, you know, you, you do have other responsibilities in life. You know, you have your job, you have, you know, car, house, you know, whatever, mortgage and things. It gets harder, mm. but it, those are only challenges. And it's it just your challenges might be bigger than my challenges or somebody else's challenges, but they are at the end of the day, only challenges. And it's finding a way to manage those is finding a way to just go, okay, I don't have it all right now, but I'm on my way. Um, and it's, it's just enjoying the journey. To be honest, I, I wish you'd come to our film school. Obviously you'd, <laughs> you'd have been a bit young then. I wish you'd come to our, I wish I was there now when you come as you were now when you, and you'd done that talk quite frankly. <laughs> You, you, you do talks, you say. Do you do them at film schools as well? Do you do you talk to students about this stuff? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I think, I've done a few kind of uh, amateur uh, filmmaking societies uh, groups um, around about and done a couple of festivals, a couple of talks. Um, but no, I'd quite, quite like to do schools. I think, you know, especially when, when dealing with, with younger people and dealing with, uh, you know, people fresh out of, of college, it's so important to teach people to manage their expectations mm. um, and to go just because you're not there where you want to be now doesn't mean you're failing and doesn't mean that you're you're never going to get there. It just means you're not there now. It's, you know, it's so important to enjoy the journey because you pick up so much on every project that you do and you learn so much. You know, you I mean, you you just you can learn to anticipate pro- you know problems in the same way that you you anticipate problems on the road when you're driving. Mm. You know, the more that you do it, the more you know you kind of see things happen before they do. And it's the same in any job. It's the same in filmmaking. The more work that you do, the more you can kind of see where problems happen, and then people start to see. Well, that person is good at seeing those problems before they happen. Let's give them more responsibility. Um, and so, and then you you know you you learn enough, and then you go, okay, finally, I feel confident enough to make a film. Mm. <laughs> Um, whether that confidence is, is false or not, well, we shall see. Yeah. Um, and the audience of Fright Fest, I'm sure, will will happily happily tell us whether we like it or not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they will be delighted. I'm sure they will be delighted. But well. um, it, it, if you have the time, though, I would definitely reach out to film schools because a film student would love to have somebody like you come in who started as an actor and has now produced yeah. their own horror movie, the kind of film that, quite frankly, a lot of film students want to make. They'll lie and they'll say they want to do uh, sort of art house movies, but they don't. They don't. They want to do the kind of films that you're making. For you to come in and, and basically describe how you've got it done and what they need to do to do a similar thing, that's worth its yeah. weight in gold, really. Yeah, I, well, it's interesting you say that. I would like to. I did, I did briefly talk to a, a course director uh, of, of a film school um, and. Yeah, unfortunately, we're a little bit snotty and, and we're like, oh, so where did you go to film school? And, you know, I hate hate to be that person that's like the university of life, mate. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I like, you know, I was, I was like, oh, well, I made a movie and I made a you know, few few little movies here and there and I was quite involved in that film. And, uh, and it, it, yeah, it can be quite difficult, but I think that might have been just that one person. Uh, mm. I, I do I do think I would love to, to you know, kind of work with students uh, and and show them you know there are so many more paths than the one that you you think you mm. know go to university get your degree go off into the the industry that you want um you can you can do anything you know you can you see things like uh oh what do you call it um oh, the heiress you know the um 
that German girl who conned everybody to thinking she was, you know, uh, an heiress, and so everybody did everything for her and gave her loads of money and like she went to loads of parties all the time. You, nobody stopped her. She just had really big balls, and you can just you can just do these things. And it's it's self belief. You know, I think she's a really interesting character. You know, I think she's a really interesting person because she just had that belief that she could do it. And she had that need to do it. You know, she wasn't particularly wealthy. You know, she she wanted a lifestyle and she went for it. Um, and she carved out her own path. Yes, it was illegal. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, it was also great viewing to watch. Mm. Um, but it, this is the level of confidence I think you need to have in the film industry just to go, you know, I just I think I'd be good at this. And, you know, will I, you know, the trick is to make everybody else's lives as nice as possible while you're doing it and just be nice to everybody and try to, you know, leave a good impact rather than, you know, steal a load of money. But, Do you know, I that, mean, that, 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 rem- that reminds me, actually, when, when we did go to Cannes, it was myself and my mate Eddie and uh, a mate of ours called Marian. It's, it's a male guy called Marian, Marian von Stauffer. He's a mm-hmm. uh, Polish descent. And he has this aura of somebody who just belongs everywhere. <laughs> and there was a hotel there that was only for the guests, and they had like a can section set up where you could go in and you could use all the facilities and get all their free breakfast. And he just strode in like he owned it with us mm. following behind him. And he got us ac- complete access to this for the full, whatever the week was of the festival that we were there, just by acting like he belonged. And it's that kind yeah. of confidence. He's a copper now. <laughs> wow, that's a turnaround. Weird, yeah. Yeah, that is weird. But you know, I, yeah. I think there's something in that. I mean, you know, I think there is something also. I think very reductive about that. When you say, "Oh, well, it's it's only lucky," you know, those, it's only mm. people that have that confidence. You know, I've I've never been terribly, you know, not. I was a very very shy, awkward kid, very very introverted teenager, mm. um, and I, I I still am. Um, I'm, I'm really happy to talk to you because I know you. <laughs> like most most people, I'm oh gosh, so it's quite quite uh, quite traumatic to kind of show people a bit of my personality. But um, it's yeah, I think it's it's kind of just having that belief in your project and knowing that you know you you want to do it and you can do it. And uh, you know it is. It, I know I keep saying it, but it really is is that passion. And yeah, I think people just you know not many people have it. And when people see that you have it, they want to live vicariously through you and they want to be part of that passion. And it's like a lot of the people who backed our films are people who who are maybe a bit creative, but they don't necessarily have the self-belief to make a film themselves. And so by being part of our project, by backing us, for them, it's sort of a little bit like they've they've done it. You know, they, they've made a film okay they've, they've, they've put, put some money in you know they've supported but for them it's a little bit like they've you know they see a bit of what you're doing they see your passion and they wish they had that they well they wish they could do a film so they kind of get involved in a very minor way you know which is huge to a film like us because obviously we're dependent on every penny and and i think it's the same when you're making a film all round is that when when you do let people see that passion people go god i wish i was that excited about something you know like this, this girl is crazy about you know chainsaws and, and bloody special effects like i just just want to see her do it because it just it looks like she'll be really happy doing that um <laughs> and people just want to see it and like you know it's 
I see it, you know, with a lot of other people that I work with, you know, there's a very, very talented filmmaking duo, uh, MJ and Anna Dixon, um, Maiko, um, and they are in, just incredible at getting people to do amazing favours for them, just because they're so passionate, you know, they they pull out some amazing favours, similar, uh, Liam Regan um, at Refuse Films, he he just, he's very charming, he's very sweet, you know, he's he's a really good person, you know, he, he, he wants everybody to to do well he wants everyone to do good um you know he's not a competitive person he just kind of wants the film industry to be elevated by everybody so he's constantly doing favors for people and and i think you know people see that and they just go oh let's help him you know and i think having that you know just just passion and it sounds it sounds so twee and i can't believe i'm going to say this but just being a nice person Mm -hmm. you know just just enjoying people and you know just just wanting to celebrate them wanting to help them achieve their goals as well i think that you know that can get you through so many doors um i mean it's it really does sound trite but you would be amazed at how many doors you can open by just making a really nice cup of coffee for someone um it's it's small things it's small things and there's a oh god it's it's a really silly phrase um and i for the life of me i can't remember who it's by um it's one of those kind of weird not quite sure if it's real quote things but um people might not always remember your name but they will always remember the way you made them feel yes and i try to live by that and you know i i i just try to make people feel like they're valued and i try to make people feel like that they're part of what's going on and i think when people have that they want to invest more in you and and it's it's about building relationships mm. um anyway i could could babble about that all day i'm very <laughs> very passionate about about what i do and i you know i think i'm i'm very lucky to have found something that i'm passionate about mm. Well, I, th- I think that's that's a beautiful spot to end it on, actually, because it, it's a real joyous and upbeat moment to mm. come to that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, um, I'm very, I'm very lucky to be able to talk to people like you about what I do, certainly. Um, but it is, it is like you know, I think it's been a long, a long journey to get here. Um, but that's not to say that I haven't enjoyed the journey, mm. and and that's that's what it's been about for me. It's just in, just trying to find the joy in every horrible, grueling second. And now eventually you're going to reap the rewards and, and watch what the audience say about the film. Ah, uh, and maybe one day I'll get a, a, a job in Game of Thrones, like every other actor <laughs> in London. I think it's just two. It's me and Danny Dyer that haven't been in it yet. <laughs> oh, he'd be great in that. I, as would you, Charlie. Yeah, I know, thanks. Uh, so, oh, no, don't... <laughs> Obviously you'd be good in it. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if, if they did sort of a prequel, you could play a young Daenerys. Uh, they're doing the prequel, and I think that's covered. But um, the prequel's you know, like couple, I'm still hold way, out. way back, isn't it? The prequel's going way back. Oh, I'm. I'm also. I'm, I kind of. I've moved on now. I'm holding out for The Witcher. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I know. I know. I heard. Um, I don't know where, how far they are in production, but I heard there's going to be a Final Fantasy series, and oh. I'm just putting this out into the universe. If I can get on a chocobo. Uh, that for an actor, I could die. That's me done. That's a life goal. Thanks. I'm, I'm peacing out. You cos gonna... you cosplay as well, don't you? Occasionally, occasionally, yeah. yeah. Well, it says Just on in... it says on your IMDb profile that you're always cosplaying. 
<laughs> so we've got, oh, MD Pro, MD Pro hasn't uh, been uh, updated since before I decided to make films ah. uh, and have no spare time to do anything. It, it also but, says uh, you're into Transformers, which is weird. I'm mega into Transformers and it never stops. Um, I'm always, always into Transformers. I have quite a few, quite a few toys. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do, I do cosmetic. Oh my God, what a beaut. Is that a new or is that a... That's, that's, like a, that, that's a new sludge. Dynabot. Dynabot. That's the new new one. So I, I have quite a few of my are they in here? No. Mm. Um my original toys that I mm. have from younger years. But then as an adult went and got uh kind of rebox reprints, uh Japanese ones, um, so that I could have them boxed as well. Yeah. Uh, because why not? Make some, you know, pennies as an adult and you just think, why well, I'm going to buy some action figures now. <laughs> why why not? I'm a millennial and there's an apocalypse. <laughs> well, there's, there's a Transformers convention next Friday as well. Is there really? Yeah, in Birmingham, in the in um, the Birmingham Metropole, which is next to the NEC. Didn't know about that. Might have to be time to, to dust off the glue gun and start yeah, cosplaying. It, it's again. Friday and Saturday night, and they do have a cosplay competition on the Saturday night. I'm sure all entries for that were sorted months ago, unfortunately, but it's really elaborate stuff. Some of them even have transforming costumes. That's really cool. I've seen seen a few of those at Comic-Con. Mm. Um, yeah, I have, have major, major envy of, the, you know, someone who has the, the time to be able to make a cosplay like that. I think that's yeah. definitely something I would love doing is getting involved in that. But in a similar vein, if I had spare time, I would be making fighting robots for Robot Wars. <laughs> I I love fighting robots. I love them. I think that's what I love about Transformers. I just, just love the idea of big machines just beating each other up, big Gundam beasts. It's like, I, if, if I had budget, I'd be making a big robot fighting movie, I think. Not, you know, obviously Transformers, because... I'm not the sort of person to ruin people's childhoods. No, no, uh, that's strictly Michael Bay. Uh, fist wave. Um, many, many problems with those new movies. Um, but uh, I'd love, love to make a big robot movie. After just there's another one I put out to the universe. Put it out just, there. Put it out there. If I, I feel like if I say things publicly, then I kind of have to do them because I've set a standard for myself now. Well, I did interview the producer of the Transformers movies a few years ago. Did you really? I did, I did, yeah. It, it, they gave me an interview in exchange for me taking something down from a website that was leaked footage that somebody had found. So, yeah. What? That's amazing. Also, great little yeah. black. It was only, <laughs> I, I know, it was only a 10-minute interview. That's all they gave me, yeah. It was Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who's done stuff like um, Red and Red 2 and um, stuff with Will Smith and... Various things. Yeah, huge stuff like that. But yeah, that was a while ago. But yeah, yeah. it was a it was a blag. Yeah, because they kind of rewarded me for something taking something down from one of my own websites. Wow, I mean, brilliant. That's, yeah. I mean, that's such a great blag. You know, this is this is when you say you know you haven't haven't kind of made it in the film industry yet. You <laughs> have core skills there. That's <laughs> definitely definitely a strong production talent. Well, yeah, I I, I suppose yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I still wish I hadn't walked out on Edgar Wright, though. You know what? There'll be another opportunity. There's always, always another opportunity. There's a, you know, that one is just going to be the experience so that next time you meet someone else, you won't miss the opportunity. You won't mess it up. No, we won't mess up. No. Right. I think we're going to have to leave it there and let you get off. 
Um, as, that was a pleasure. As, as one final thing, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, whether that's to crowdfund a future project or whether they want to work with you or get advice from you, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch? Uh, best way is, is genuinely social media. I've always, always managed my own social media. I'm a big fan of Twitter. It's... Um, it's my favorite. I'm not really an Instagram person. I love I love the kind of spontaneity of just putting my weird thoughts out into the world on Twitter. So the best way to reach me if you don't already know me, um, I am yeah. I'll be at quite a few festivals with uh, with Pat and um, and the team James uh, and Power Tool Cheerleaders versus the boy band of Screeching Dead. Uh, I'll be at quite a few festivals around the UK, Europe. Uh, I think we're we're one in New York um, and. Uh, come up to me but I, I i try to to kind of keep my social media current of any any of these events that i go to because i always hope that someone will come up and, and start talking to me because i love making friends um and yeah so i mean social media is such a great tool to, to get in touch with someone because not only can you get in touch with someone very quickly but it's also a really nice barrier in case you're mental um <laughs> and i don't, don't want somebody to like be right in my email inbox because that's a bit personal mm. <laughs> absolutely mental i don't know anyone like that um <laughs> charlie thank you very much for appearing on the podcast uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and best of luck with the movie as well i can't wait to see it oh thank you so much thanks for having me <laughs>